0: Masal Harry, Sabal Harry, Harry to you wherever you tuned in from. This is the Justice Watchers podcast, where we tell the stories of brave individuals who strive to promote and protect human rights in our communities, where we unwrap closely knit empowering stories. The stories thread the DNA of those that pick up the hammer when the judge and jury exit the corridors of justice, of those that handle the scales where blind lady justice has left the balance unattended, of those who raise their voices outside the streets where the crowd has stopped agitating for their rights. This is the Justice Watchers podcast. A joint from the National Coalition for Human Rights Defenders Kenya. Good morning, good afternoon, good
1: evening, good whatever time it is from where you are listening to us from. My name is Obino Nyambane. I'm a, an activist and a staff of the Defenders Coalition. Uh, welcome to this episode where we shall be talking about financial literacy and uh, economic liberation among human rights defenders. Because why? Because, let us face it, the ability to resource yourself, the ability to support yourself, to have financial autonomy in itself is so powerful. It literally gives you the credibility, the independence to think broadly and liberate yourself and others as well as the power to persuade and influence. From where I sit, human rights defenders must have this power for them to be in a position of convincing their communities to buy into their agenda. The agenda of living dignified lives for all, the agenda of human rights for all, and development for all. Today, we are here and we are sit, We are having a sit-down on the deliberate participation of human rights defenders in the economy. Financial independence is a big barrier for many groups, including human rights defenders in Kenya. I think it is important to have this conversation because for the longest time what we hear about is social activists or political activists. Rarely do we hear of economic activists, yet without economic activism and economic liberation, human rights work is unsustainable and undignified. Uh, With me here I have a wonderful human being, I lack words to actually introduce her because she wears very many hats and because I don't want to, you know, spoil the broth and take something away from her, I want to give her the opportunity to introduce herself. Welcome, Kino.
2: Thank you. Thanks, uh, Obino uh, and NCHRDK team for having me. I'm very honored to be here.
1: You're welcome. So um, I just want you to tell us briefly about yourself. Who's Kingwa? If someone out there just um, goes, uh, wants to know more about you, who who who, who is Kingwa? Or how, how do you define yourself? Who's who's Kingwa? Who's
2: mm, thank you. Um, I think there's a very many facets to me. So it sort of like depends on what day it is and what I am feeling. Um, so there's different, if you put my name out in the public, people have all sorts of opinions and ideas. Some say, yeah, she's a comedian. Others say she's a serious human rights politician. Others, yeah, she's a brilliant um, intellectual. I think for me, I'm just a human being, and that's really what I try to keep it down to. I think the one thing in terms of, because we we usually uh, introduce ourselves by our titles, I think sort of my background is in writing and journalism. And um, yeah, I just try to keep it simple to that. So uh, yeah, my background is in writing and journalism. Um, I am a creative, like in a very big way, I founded, I'm the founder of an organization, a communication firm called Blackstar Media, and also a nonprofit called uh, Culture and Communication in Development. And with both of those two, we are about activating visionaries and building capacity of visionaries and change makers. Wonderful, perfect.
1: Before we even go, <coughs> we dive deep into what uh, Blackstar Media does. Uh, it's very impressive and encouraging that uh, you are actually a writer, a creative you yourself, and you are involved in trying to you know, uh, spearhead uh, social change through communication. Um, I just want to, a brief background of yourself in terms of, uh, as a journalist, uh, right now you are not actively in a newsroom, right? If I could assume like that, <laughs> you are not. Um, uh, where have you worked before, and what 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 made you leave the, the newsroom and venture into other stuff?
2: Okay, thanks. Uh, uh, so I got into journalism via writing, via fiction writing. So I was writing when I was in undergraduate. Uh, like fiction writing was the thing, the thing that I really wanted to do with my life. But then. Um, it, in terms of sustainability, it was not sustainable. I, I had like a really great experience because I managed to publish my first book in undergraduate. Oh. Um, it, it got, it had such an amazing experience. It got like it won like three of the key main awards. Um, but then after that, now when I graduated, I was like, okay, so what next? But luckily, all that time I'd also been contributing to the newspapers. I think I was sharing short stories to people daily. Um, I was writing a bit for Nation, Saturday Nation. Um, after campus, I joined an organization called. Well, I did my internship at African Women and Child Feature Services, uh, which and I loved it because it was a sort of like a, a meeting point between civil society and communication, which was my thing and still has been my seems to be my thing. Um, and I worked with a gentleman called Kwamchetsi Makoha in his organization called Form and Content. We were also just contribute, creating content still. Then I think my first. Proper full job. Actually, before that, when I was in campus, I was working in Parliament. Um, I was working for a politician. His name is Dr. Noe Kesa. He, he was an MP Kwanza. He was assistant minister of forestry, all that. But after that, after campus, because there was the option of staying in politics and just remaining there. But I no, I just felt no. I have this whole thing that needs to be finished in terms of I need to. I have. I still had that hunger to to just continue continue writing and doing stuff with journalism. So my first. Proper job was uh, with an organization called the Media Institute. It uh, was run by David McCulley, who's a veteran journalist. I'm sure. I don't know if you might have heard of him. But so what the Media Institute did was it was about freedom of expression. It was about um, taking care of journalists in the sense of journalists who've reported on matters that are sensitive and maybe they're being persecuted. So it was about, so first of all, um, first of all, looking at the, the, the environment of, of journalism, like how, how are, journalists, like, are, are journalists being persecuted for their work? And so we had a magazine expression today reporting on that. But also um, also um, when journalists were persecuted and were in danger also ag- organizing for them to be taken to safe places out of the country or within. So it was, yeah, it was just about that whole thing about journalists are defending, you know, the, the journalists are the, are the watch people on behalf of the society, but who's watching on the situation of the journalists. Later on, I ended up joining mainstream media. I was with uh, Nation, uh, I think on a full-time basis for not so long, maybe two years in total. But before that, I'd been contributing for Nation and Standard. Um, After Nation, I joined a magazine called Up Up Nairobi, Urban Perspective Nairobi. It was a magazine that uh, came out monthly and we focused on, it actually was almost like the thing that inspired what I'm doing right now, which is because we had, it had a big focus on, on uh, creatives, it had a big focus on people in the social justice space, it had a big focus on in innovators, entrepreneurs, so basically change makers. So I think that's where I really, my, um, my theory and my consciousness of what I'm doing was formed.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Oh my God. I can't, I, c- I can imagine how long your resume is. How long is it?
2: Not very
0: long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it must be quite long from where I'm seated from. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I understand right now you are in full time uh, management of Star Media. Uh, so at what point did you think that now, uh, you know, journalists, of course, they are human rights defenders because they are promoting access to information, which is very critical. Component of uh, you know uh, of our everyday organizing and communities to uh, live sustainably and stay informed. But at what as a human rights defender, at what point did you say now? Um, you know, you know what I've done enough for journalism. I've done enough for uh, working under someone. Now it's it's time for me to be able to be in a position where I am running my own thing and exploring to the to the point that I can you know put out my ideas and experiment and put my thoughts out there. What was this motivation?
2: Um, Okay, so that's a good question. The first thing is uh, not all journalists are human rights defenders. Um, Not all journalists are interested in change and that kind of thing. Some journalists are a a big, I don't know if it's a big chunk, but a lot of journalists are also defenders of the status quo. Yeah, I agree. A lot of journalists are very anti-progressive in terms of even trying to hide, um, and not just hide, but even to manipulate information, to give a false picture to the public. So ideally, I don't know if it's ideally, but I think people have different schools of thought. And for me, yes, like like you, my school of thought is that there is a big opportunity for journalists to really be at the front of social change, of enabling dignity for human beings. But the reality is that yes. Also, there's a a, a chunk of a, peop, a group of journalists who also believe that for them it's about just all about um, how much money have I brought into my account this month? Um, who am I? Who's who? Am, who am I fighting for? What? Yeah, so it's about self interest. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I f- for me in the newsroom, I uh, I was Swat Nation, for example. Okay, at at. Uh, at the Media Institute, that was an amazing space um, because it also sort of contributed to what i 'm doing, which is um, sort of defending the defenders which like, as you guys are doing, but not with a particular niche but at nation i uh, so I was, I was covering art journalism at journal- yeah so that was like my my, my niche um, so a lot of the people I was interviewing were writers um, actors producers filmmakers painters da da da. Um, and it was a great job. Like I had an amazing editor, wonderful colleagues, but I just, I just, it, it, it was not um, the space that I was in was not a space of passion and mission and purpose and vision. And one thing I used to get upset about, like every day, um. So January the headline is "Go Corruption," government has done this. December same headline, and I was like, 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 okay, so what are we doing? Are we playing children's games? Like it was just so like what are, like. And how, why am I here? Like, so it was, there was a bit of a disconnect in terms of on a soul level, um, which, is why, um, which is why I did not feel like I fit in as well as I could. But then now when I went to UP, because they were about purpose and mission, like, so that was a perfect disconnect. So even when I set up what I was setting up, it was not about, about working under somebody because, no, I think community and even movement, you have to be within a, a group of people. Like you can't do everything on your own. So it was more of about um, finding a space for purpose and finding a space for mission. And because uh, I, maybe at that time I did not see that and I was like, okay, you know what? Um, let me set it out. Maybe we can even create a space for other people who are looking for the same thing to just come and, and find that space for themselves where they can go all the way.
1: Wow, fantastic. You are people-centered, clearly. Um, now, I want us to go back to where we had stopped, up uh, something about Blackstone Media. Uh, I'm privileged to speak from a point of know-how at the moment, because I know like uh, recently th- through the month of September, uh, 2022, uh, you and your team, you've been trying to do some work around sensitizing various cada- various groups of uh, uh, young people that includes, mostly I've noticed it's about creators, innovative persons, and human rights defenders. Uh, you have been having these conversations about uh, financial literacy and all that. Can you tell us more about that and what you've been trying to do and maybe have you seen yet any success story from that?
2: Mm, thanks. Uh, yeah. So. Before the elections, I think about a month or two before that, I was following the international financial news, and there was this whole discussion that, oh, there's going to be a big economic crisis, big global crisis, oh, recession, inflation, oh, the U.S. dollar is going to crumble and fall, crisis, crisis, crisis. So I was watching all that, and then I'm seeing, in Kenya at that time, we were all about the politics, the politics, and I was so concerned, like, okay, in case the worst is to happen, what is going to happen here? And then now the same time that we saw the crazy thing that happened in Sri Lanka. I don't know if us guys were not noticed, um, they had an economic like the country literally crumbled. They the, the president was had to had to flee, run for his life, citizens invaded State house they were jumping in the pool, jumping on his bed, drinking the wine from the and the champagne from the fridge. It's a bit funny, but uh, it was also quite sad because it was there was a humanitarian crisis. there was no man- medicine in the hospitals like a, a large number of people died because of lack of food. Um, yeah, so there was that. and then at the same time there was Lebanon um, with the banking crisis. then at the same time there was um was it Pakistan and Ghana? So I was seeing all this, and most interestingly, or most importantly, Kenya was one of the countries that had been put a red flag. Like, and then so I'm hearing that, and then I'm seeing what's happening in Sri Lanka, and I'm like, oh my god! So if things come to worst, then worst comes to worst. And what what are we doing? What can we do? And then of course, um, because you know they say that just work with the, your area of influence, with your sphere of influence. And so for me, my sphere of Activities is change makers, which, as you've already said, are uh, with those three sectors: um, professionals in arts and culture, human rights, entrepreneurship and innovation. So a big part of it was um, then just giving an opportunity for us to just come together as a group and understand where are we right now in terms of this, this whole thing being said about global financial crisis. are we Is the country going to die? Are we going to go like Zimbabwe, you know where we are carrying a, a, a wheelbarrow of money to buy bread. Brilliant. Um, and then if that happens, what do we do? Like, how can we survive? How can we organize ourselves? Um, and then also the, um, um, yeah, so, so it was, aspe- uh, so there was a number one, the aspect of understanding what is all this and where are we right now? Like, is it as crazy as we're being told or maybe things are not that bad? But then the second thing was then also, if worst comes to worst, how can we plan ourselves? Um, And then also on top of that is also that also these groups have a, there's a history of uh, like really bad financial, like money has been a a big problem. There's this whole thing about the starving artist. Um, There's this whole thing about, uh, you know, human rights defenders who are fighting for everyone, but their children don't have school fees. Um, There's this whole thing of innovators who are not able to connect to the market. Like they're doing some genius, genius stuff, but they're just tinkering in their garages. It it never connects to the market, so they never get to... um, Really, live the quality lives that they need to live. So, so that was the background to that.
1: Fantastic. Um, personally, I would want to just add on to that because um, it is very important that we have this kind of conversation. I, I would want us to reflect, especially at the height of COVID nineteen, um, the, the pandemic period. Um, we we saw even the government coming in to support. Uh, artists in the name of artists. I don't know whether they eventually received the support that the government was purporting to give them. But clearly you could see that there is a breakdown somewhere, either in financial management or uh, there is a decrease in the amount, the, the quantity of resources that you, uh, that the uh, uh, creators and activists have uh, the access, the amount of access that uh, this group of persons have to resources. So it was very clear that certain uh, occurrences, whether natural or whether they are created by the greed and all that within uh, the globe. And because of, you know, opening up of the markets and all that, of our borders and all that, we've seen very many groups and most for me more specifically, and in context of this conversation, the creators, the innovative persons, you find that their their gigs were actually, because we were limited from the fact that we could not gather and assemble landfalls, some of these people, they have to bring audiences together for them to be able to perform and get an income. But unfortunately, and again, we have to say it as it is, some creators, when, regardless, they could be earning some good amount of money that, you know, they can use it for saving and for the future and for all that. But uh, Sisi Kamawa Kenya, sometimes we just say we have to live for the moment, we have to live now. And sometimes we end up squandering the money that we have, the debt that we have. So I think because we lack some very basic skills that needs maybe to be taught in schools in colleges and in all that, in terms of how do you plan for yourself? How do you plan your management, you know, the management of the little resources that you have and save it and make it big and all that. I think it's a conversation that we need to continue having into the future because if you look keenly at the impact of COVID-19, those sudden occurrences that have uh, an impact across socio economic, cultural, how we, we we live as human beings, we realize that um we are mostly hurt around financial issues and our socio in terms of the our mental well-being and all that maybe you can speak a little bit kingwa in terms of when it comes to you yourself did you did you come up with Blackstar media because you are a victim of that kind of crunch or people close to you uh have been victims of these kind of sudden crunches that have uh, an impact on their social lives and also their social well being and economic well being.
2: Uh, you know, when you mentioned COVID 19, actually, that was also contributed to what we were trying to do because once you've been through COVID 19 in your lifetime and seen like it's possible for an economy to close for two years, so when people start talking about worst case scenario, the next time you hear worst case scenario, like, you know, you're like, okay. You, you you're no longer you've seen you've seen how crazy things can get so you then take sit up and pay a, take a, and pay attention. Um, <clears throat> so I set up Blackstar because I realized I noticed. So when I, I, I some politics, I ran for the presidency in twenty in the in the twenty thirteen election. We didn't get as far as we hoped to do because I was like I wasn't on the ballot. But I had been, uh, we did the, like the press conference in 2011 and we were like campaigning 2012. Uh, I think we had, by February 2013, we were like, we were completely burnt out, completely d- done of resources. But in that period, I noticed that there was a group of people that were very drawn to my campaign that were literally coming and like contributing, volunteering, like they felt the spirit and they were like in it. And it was that same people, the creatives, the human rights defenders, the innovators, like the geniuses really, to be honest. And, But I noticed another thing. I noticed that uh, there was something about us. And I was noticing this maybe from like some of the people that I, I looked up to. And I was like, they're, they're living very dysfunctional lives. Like They are so genius, but no, their lives are not in order. They are fighting with everyone. They are having drama for no reason. They don't have money for their hospital bills. They, they don't have money to live. And, and I, I saw that. And I saw, because I'd seen also aspects in myself. And I realized that. I have to, I have to recognize and I have to reckon with what I am and who I am. That there's something about me that's, that's different. You know, I always used to think I'm like everyone else until I did this whole politics thing. Then guys are like, "Oh, you should first get married." Who do you think you are? You're a woman. You're a. But me, I'm like, no. I just, I just do it because I, I, think it's important. Because I think it's Im- like, like. So the thing for me that triggered all the, the, even the jumping into the politics was, I was in the UK at that time and I used to go. So I was in a city called Oxford, and you go to London, and on the train stations, there's these big posters of emaciated Africans. Gee, and it was Ox—I think it was Oxford—I forget which organization that was looking for money, like saying the worst famine in East Africa in sixty years. And at that time, there was—it um, was around the time, just a few years after the Grand Coalition, when there was a very bloated government. And I used to get so mad. I'm like, "What do you mean there's famine in? What do you mean? What do you mean Kenya? What do you mean? What do you mean we have hunger in Kenya? And yet we are spending so much." On, was it 70 or 70 something or 97 mm-hmm. cabinet ministers and assistants? So I was just so angry. So that is what then prompted me to get into politics. Like, okay, how long are we going to complain? So, but then for people, it's like, oh, you first have to be married. Oh, you first have to be like this. For me, I'm like, why, what, is, what is this? Like, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crisis here. And I can see there's a crisis, and I'm trying to do something about it. But more people are like, oh, you need to do things like that. So that was the first time that I realized that actually I think differently from other people. That um, actually not every other 27-year-old, 28-year-old wakes up and just decides they're going to do something. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time that I realized, okay, there's something here that I need to pay attention to. And so there was a boldness, there was a courage. But yes, and there were very, the very good positive aspects. But then also it also came with some some shadows, some downsides. Um, Like when you're passion-driven, like when you're you're mission-driven, like what about on the day when your passion disappears? What what about the day that you've burnt out? Like you can't even, you just cannot even get the energy to move. And so I saw that in myself and I realized that I need to address it even before anything else. Otherwise I'm going to end up like um, these very... Famous people that you hear about, you know, they, they become wildly successful and then they end up committing suicide. Kina Robin Williams, Kina Kate Spade, Kina, all those. Or they end up just living very dysfunctional lives because I could see. For me, I'm very strong on patterns. And when I see a pattern, I'm like, we have to do something here. So it was for me. And then also because my friends, they were having the same challenges. They were having um, so bipolar, schizophrenia, da-da-da-da. Along the way, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD. That was, that, but that was even way after I had uh, registered the organization. So it was about recognizing that, yes, the very, very brilliant people in this country, there's something very dysfunctional about us, and we need to do something about it. Um, and, um, and so I say, yeah, so for me, that was it. Um, um, and that's still the journey that we are on, um, and um and because of this so let's let's use the term neurodivergence. this neurodivergence means there's certain limitations, so for example a d h d means a challenged being challenged in terms of executive skills, being challenged in terms of like um 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 long term planning in terms of um 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 impulsivity um um um, very much mood driven; that you almost can't force it. Like, it's, it's like the, the switch is either completely on or completely off. So those are some of the things. And because I recognized it in myself, I I, I, I didn't have the luxury to say, "Oh, people create." So when like when I see Kina emotion on the on the papers, they don't have read. Like I don't have the luxury to say, "Oh, people should plan." or oh, creative should. Mm-mm. For me, it's not about a should. It's about there's a there's a, there's a lack of a capacity. Like, there's a lack of a capacity, and I have to be realistic that um, because there's a lack of a capacity, shielding is not, go, not going to help anything because it's just not going to happen. So what can we do instead? What, what systems can we set up in people's lives? What structures can we set up such that no matter what, we don't become the victims of our own, of our own um, gifts? Because that's, that's what the case is.
0: You're listening to the Justice Watchers podcast a joint from the National Coalition for Human Rights Defenders in Kenya. We champion the safety, security and well-being of human rights defenders in Kenya. We'd be happy to know the kind of insights that your immersion into the world of human rights defenders in Kenya has offered you today. For suggestions and feedback, log on to www.defenderscoalition.org. Visit our Facebook at Defenders Coalition, Twitter at DefendersKE, Instagram at DefendersKE. Or call us directly on zero seven one six two zero zero one zero zero for any emergencies.
1: You've set the ball rolling to a follow-up kind of conversation where where I just want to state this. I know most of us are aware of it, that human rights work, uh and arts and culture, some of the some of these Things people do it because of the kind of passion that they have for these things, and unfortunately, um, the amount of income that comes from this kind of uh, that kind of passion is limited in this country. We 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 have not reached a point where we actively monetize our passion, and I think that is what you are trying to do and trying to tell these groups, these dear groups, to you that. You know what? Um, Art can be monetized and in a very rewarding way. Uh, culture can be done the same and even human rights work. And, um, and I was actually following, I was doing some uh, kind of uh, research on you and I noticed at some point you were part of um, the Kenya Film and Classification Board or a, a group that was trying to create the foundation for that kind of board. And uh, I just want to talk about something that has happened recently in this country. And I want us to have that conversation because as as recently the board has had a discussion where they are trying to limit the thinking and creativity space of certain people because of their identity and orientation. Uh, I want to talk about the banning of uh, LGBTQ movies. That is because there are people who are very active in terms of what they are doing is just they are presenting art and culture to, to 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 various audiences to watch and learn and and you know uh learn certain things from them. So what is your perspective when it comes to that? Because for me, how way I see it, I think it is limiting, it's denying this group of creatives and and actors the opportunity to generate income
2: mm-hmm.
1: from that kind of uh work. Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so Creative economy—that's a very big theme for us. Um, That—that's in terms of my vision, my biggest dream. Those are like I want to see a very thriving creative economy. I want us to get to a place where we have a whole a whole neighborhood called Beverly Hills of very nice, big, wonderful houses, and it's all creatives and 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 change makers over there. Like because we've been able to our value, we've been able to um, translate our value into into uh, an actual finance. Um, so th- the question you asked, you talk about um, expression and identity. Interestingly, it goes back to finance. And you have realized that uh, money actually does make the world go round, sadly, much as we don't want to uh, admit it. But I also want to talk about systems, about systems, um, the systems that we're operating in. So, for example, like uh, the, the kind of homophobia, homophobia that we've had in this country um, goes hand in hand with the colonial system that came in the colonial system, which was on a very Victorian, um, which had very Victorian ideals, which were very um, prudish, very um, narrow thinking and uh, very, what's the word for it?
1: I don't know whether conservatives is the word that you're looking for, or I don't know. It's
2: it's not coming, it's gonna come. But Uh is that um, so? That was the era that introduced the the whole colonial system and Mm. with with those limitations, which saying that certain people are more human than others, certain people should not be allowed privilege. So, like when you talk about um, the LGBT community. And I I, I answer that, I'm I'm answering it from a very sort of a broader, yeah, broad answer because. If we if we had a different colonial system um, of whereby everyone was required to be well, maybe imagine if ancient Greece, if the ancient Greek came to to colonize us, where for example homosexuality was just a norm, it was a normal thing, like it was just so we would actually be persecuting the people who are not practicing homosexuality. So which is why I say that. um, So 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 I'm answering that in the sense of it's not a moral issue. It is, not a, it is not a moral issue and I think us trying to, like, we, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot, we even try to answer it as a, as a moral issue or as a um, um, even a rights issue because it's actually a, f- a system issue. It's about who pays, who's paying, who's paying, who's, who's this, this system, this social system that is ca- covering us, where is the money behind it? And so colonialism came, you know, with the church, um, yeah, so the church was a very big key to it and all that. So um, Another thing that, uh, and this is going to be, you um, know let, let me not turn people's hair white. <laughs> but it's just to say that money and humanity are so intertwined. Money and humanity are so, so intertwined. And that's why for me that we have to get the humanity, we have to get the money thing right if we're going to get humanity right. Why do people feel like they need to wake up and limit other people? It means that they feel that their own restrict, their, their own that if they feel like they're limited in some way, they're restricted in some way. And so we have to liberate people to, to be able to get out of the place of being inhumane, but to become humane. We give what we have. When people don't have, when people are not free, the only thing that they can give is lack of freedom. So, but if we're in a space, an environment, a system in which everyone has more than enough for themselves, when, when then it means that we will be engaging with each other on a level of... Um, on, on humanity, like, we'll be beyond pettiness because, to be honest, all these all whatever's are petty. That, that it's just petty. Like, telling someone that that they, they deserve certain things because of, of the, what, what they're doing. They're, no, no, no. Let's be real. Such things are petty. But we have to deal with the pettiness by recognizing that it comes from somewhere. And all the people who, like, they're really invested in those beliefs. And, um, and, and we cannot wish those beliefs away because it's coming from somewhere. So the, 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 the question then is, for me, it's not about fighting the what is but about creating something new, mm-hmm. creating a space an environment, a system, a way of being such that everyone feels free and they're giving freedom to each other mm-hmm. so that's the way I look at it
1: Very well, okay Fantastic, um, I, I, I would not want to add, i rather take this conversation further because we know how uh, restrictive and uh, conserved uh, the space which we work and live in is. Um, I would want to also take the conversation to another a kind of dimension where we want to have like an internal reflection for ourselves as a movement. Uh, earlier this week when we were talking, uh, there's this discussion where we had, where we were comparing uh, the civil society of the past and, and right now in terms of uh, how vibrant it is, one, and uh, access to resources, how it has been, because you are basically working around that and trying to put the conversation out there that, hey guys, need you know what? We cannot do it, do this sustainably, if we do not have this financial freedom. Um, so, comparing the two spaces, there is a very a, a good example that uh, you you talked about, like. We were actually trying to see to talk about the glorification of poverty within the movement that you have for a human rights defender, mm-hmm. you have to be poor, have mm-hmm. limited resources, have mm-hmm. limited I don't know what not for you to be able to do human rights work. And I think it's time that mm-hmm. now we need to have a conversation around we need to be more empowered to be able to do human rights work. And there are very many examples around us that we can point at. What is What is your take about that?
2: Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So there's, I I think, the way we've been raised around money, because money is also a culture. Money is a culture. Money, money is a spirit in a way, and we have different, we have different relationships with money. Um, And the way, sadly, there's like we've been socializing a pretty. I don't think it was very healthy, our, our understanding of how we were socialized about money and even where we are right now as a world today, whereby um, we, we sort of like, we, th- there's an aspect in which we view money as antagonistic with humanity. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that, which is we've seen people with a lot of power, people with a lot of money misusing it and using it to dehumanize. Mm-hmm. We've seen examples of people who have money and they go around, Acting like, you know, they own the world and they can just do anything. I mean, that's something that we've seen. And so I think for human rights defenders, they, the, the, the tendency is then to go the other way, to then say, no, I'm not going to become like that. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to have humility. I will to be arrogant. I won't be crazy. So so those are, those are kind of the way, the money habits um, that, we, that we then see. But I, for me, I think that there's a middle point and we have, to, we have to reach that middle point. We have to reach the middle point of recognizing that money is important um and we can we can we can have our money and we can also have our humanity that it's not a it's not necessarily a um um, zero-sum game um but the thing is then about being intentional with our approach to money being intentional with with how we are dealing with money recognizing the spirit of money recognizing that yes there are ways in which money can twist us if we are not grounded enough but um, what what do we then do? How do we make sure what are the how do we mitigate how to do we, do we mitigate this powerful thing? Because money is power and power can get to your head. Um I think Lord of the Rings is like an, an, a wonderful example and of, of of really what how power and money can mess with your head. So it's um it's then about um, just being conscious and being intentional. Mm. And Being very clear about what the focus is on Mm. is a focus on because right now the focus uh, for a lot of people when they think of money it's power, but I think the focus for us has to be on an entirely different thing. Like a lot of people think of money as a tool towards power, but I think we need to start thinking of money as a tool towards to enable humanity. And I think that's one thing that we haven't been doing. But and it's the, the opportunity for now of how do we how do we make money a tool towards humanity? How do we how do we enable money to humanize us more rather than to dehumanize us? And um, that's, as you as say, conversation, that, that's something that has to be a continually ongoing, deliberate movement. Um, it has to be something that, that people, like-minded people, people, people that think the same way, we have to keep on clustering together, talking, having these like, and 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 bringing like making spreading the culture further because right now the culture is money as a tool to dehumanize money as a tool to buy people you know we talk about buying people and I think our politics sadly is a place where we see the worst of this so the question then is how how, how to spread it as a culture money as a tool to humanize rather than to dehumanize and I think we've seen it in other places um, there's a country um, somewhere in Latin America where the president he was like driving some old beaten BMW, uh, Volkswagen um, okay, that's not glorifying poverty per se. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a bit extreme. But, but it's then about how how do we how do we yeah how do we get to that middle ground? Another person, Thomas Sankara, like, lived a pretty modest life. Um, but then today we think that it's impossible to have power to uh, to to have power and to have money, but to not retain your humanity, to not. To, yeah, to, yeah, so that's a question. I don't have the answer right now. It's uh, something that we just have to keep on talking about and keep keeping centred yeah, so that we also don't just become like that because it's easy. And if we don't recognize that it's easy and if we don't recognize that it's, a, it's an evil, then we'll just continue perpetuating the, 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 the unhealthy money habits.
1: Mm. Very well, very well put. Maybe I would just want to add on to that. I think um, there are other models, other institutions that have taken various models to sustain their work. Uh, Number one, I uh, I'll just want I can, let me just uh, blow our own trumpet here. Uh, The Defenders Coalition, for instance, have been trying to uh, entrench the culture of sustainability in our work. How do we do this? Um, One is we've been trying to do something around an initiative called Climb for Justice, where we go to the mountains and climb and you know, just trying to like raise a shilling for every step that you make towards the summit of a mountain. And part of that money, uh, actually not part, all that money will go towards uh, establishing a center for human rights defenders, a resource hub. So for instance, when human rights defenders want to do their trainings, they have a place that is accessible. When human rights defenders do, it's accessible and uh, cost-friendly and all that. When human rights defenders want to do Things around creativity and innovativeness, having podcasts like this for them, they have a center to do that when they are experiencing challenges and wellness they have resources to do that because this kind of uh, initiative helps the defend not only the defenders coalitions but others to have what I can refer to as financial independence uh, all of us are aware that the kind of w- we we most uh, civil society organizations uh, depend on resources from the West, mostly, in terms of uh, donor funding and all that. But we have to be alive to the fact that the resources are shrinking. They are cutting their budgets to prioritize on things like trade, industry, and all that, all those things. Now, there's limited resources on, on, um, when it comes to human rights work. Mm-hmm. So. What can we do? We can't keep there and continue whining. Hey, you know what? Uh, the resources are shrinking. Now there's nothing we can do. And guess what? By the way, this I have to against state, human rights defenders, we are influencers. And those people are the community, the ones that we are trying to influence to promote and respect human rights work, they look up to us and they think, hey, human rights defenders, these people do human rights work. Hey, work on a PESA, these people have money. You know, there's that notion. I'm sure, at least I've heard it from so many people that you are either doing some, you are being paid by someone from the West to, do, to, to, to advance a certain agenda, certain rights. So you are being paid a lot of money. So you guys have a lot, human rights defenders have a lot of money, you know, that kind of notion. But on the ground, human rights defenders are suffering because access to resources is a, is a, is a, is a major impairment to their work and their own well being. So, I think it, I, 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 I would want to say there is nothing wrong with individuals or institutions coming up with ideas to fund themselves, to sustainably do their work. And when, one thing that we have to understand, all of us, is that the fact that when you, there's, there, there, there's something called power. And power, power can, can be anything and one way that something that can take away your power as we have been sp- speaking about is as we have spoken before is the fact that you do not have access or the ability to access resources especially money to be able to do your work so it's either if once you do not have that you do not have dignity utakuunambia hawe unatuambia nini kwanza we unakuja hapa na unashindanga ukitomba pesa ya chakula pesa ya ugali unashindio kutomba that is what we refer to when we are saying we want human rights defenders innovators creatives entrepreneurs to be able to do their work in a dignified manner when someone sees um sees me in the streets we'll be saying hey obino wenyewe obino is good uh life yaki na unaikopoa and uh, because we have to be seen from that point of leading, influencing. We need to be ourselves, be leaders from the financial perspective. My, my thought, that one, I don't know.
2: So, first of all, congrats, guys, for what you've been doing with Climb for Justice. Um, we have to start somewhere. So congrats on that. Um, and you talked about human rights defenders and the work that they're doing in the community. For me, my theory of change is that change makers are the missing link in terms of progress. For example, in Kenya, whenever, like for me, my theory is that the reason we have all these problems that we are having is because change makers are not activated because they are the people who wake up every day and go out trying to work on behalf of humanity and try to do something to make the world a better place. Inherently, they're not selfish. They're not driven by selfish needs. They're not driven by power needs, but they're literally driven by, do, by doing good. But then the systems that we have are not supportive of that. The systems we have, it's all about, you have to have, you know, you just have to have a job for the sake of having a job. You have to, have, you have to do this for the sake of doing this. But we're driven by meaning as change makers. Um, but we do not have enough. We don't have this, the mechanisms that support that. Related to that is also, and the reason that we're doing and, and yeah, I, I, I like that you talked about what we've been doing, we are trying to do with the, the creative e- economy in terms of trying to get laws, policies for the film bill and all that. It's also recognizing that we're coming from a history of repression as a group. We're coming from a, a history of repression. So first of all, colonialism came, it said, all, all you traditional musicians, all you witch doctors, all you rainmakers, all you prophets, all you, all you. People who doing things that we don't understand. You're all witches. You're all demonic. You have to stop those. And to me, those for me, I look at those were my ancestors. The shamans. Those, the, if I was born in that age, that would have been me. And that was a whole sector. And that was a sector that had that had uh, significance. But then, so to begin with, they were repressed. So what does that happen? There's a disconnect in terms of uh, generationally. What does the next group of people with that gene? Because I think in a, in a way in which there's actually a genetic aspect to it. So. Um, And and, uh, yeah, there's a whole, we can have a whole discussion about this, but um, even for example, like mental health, um, it's been recognized that indigenous communities had recognized it as a, not a deviation, but it was part of the process of somebody who's being like a shaman or being a traditional something, something, and they had spaces set aside for that. So, but then colonialism came with its very limited perspective. So everyone has to fit into particular niches. And then the independence government as well um, was not very happy with um, the artists Kinakamaru, um, with the writers Kinangugi, um, and exiled a lot of them. Um, and then, then, the so that was Kenyatta's time. And then Moi's regime, who's not happy with again the change makers, the more Kenya people, the people fighting for multipartism. The so what happened Nyayo Chambers and all that. So there's a history of repression of, of people in this space. Um, and, and that that's why for me is that we have to work 3,000 times harder because we are coming from a place where not only is there no infrastructure, and infra- infrastructure is a very important thing, um, not only is there no infrastructure, but there's a negative in terms of infrastructure. So you you grow up you know, hearing about heroes like, yeah, Bildad Kagia was an amazing guy. But Kenyatta is there, the president, saying, oh, this guy is poor, he's broke, he's a, he's a useless guy. But yet he has the, he has humanity. So we're coming from a place where humanity has really been rubbished. Humanity has just been, like, thrown into the gutter. We're seeing our heroes, Kina Pinto, Kina, Kina, Kina JM Karaoke, um, people Kina GPO. Like, so many of them have been killed. So many have been killed, Kina David munyake So many of them have just died. Um, chasing this thing that we're call, we're, call, we're talking about, humanity. So, infrastructure is a very, very, very important thing and a big thing that we need to work on. But then you also talked about um, about the role of money in enabling impact, and that's the biggest thing. That until we until somebody and until changemakers have that capacity, that financial capacity, they will not they will not have the impact that they need to have. We will not see. Um, we will not see the signs of it out there. And right now, we're in a world that, that, is, so f- that is so without love. We're in a world that is, like, if, if love is oxygen, right now, for me, COVID-19 was, like, symbolic of that. Like, when George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe, that's where we all are. Because we're seeing this very limited myopic way of living in every sector. We are seeing it in, in, our, in our politics. We are seeing it in our in, in institutions that are supposed to take care of us like the church where it's become a place of predation. We are seeing it in relationships like it's all about, like there's no, there's no love, like there's no soul, there's no humanity. And so for me it's that rehabilitating this space is going to be the beginning point because these are the people who have love in their hearts. These are the people who have just so much to give. And when they are in their fullness, they will then be able to give out their fullness because it's what they have. So that's how I look at it. It's about getting out their value because, um, so entrepreneurship will say that it's about solving, solving problems, giving value, solving problems. So a lot of the problems that we have in the country today, um, we need to be able, like, those are, th- that's, those are business opportunities. Those are entrepreneurship opportunities. Um, and so it's about we then have the opportunity to, be able to just connect people with a lot of those problems we are saying right now there's a there's, there's nairobi's dirty there's garbage everywhere the, of course the social systems are not working that's a business opportunity that's a business opportunity in terms of right now there's a energy crisis in europe imagine if, if we if, if somebody just got all that garbage together was able to put it in biogas systems and everything energy generation um we're talking about the problem of street of of, of unemployment like I, I don't have an immediate answer, but, but all those are opportunities. All those are opportunities to, to harness value that is already, that's this sitting. So for me, it's, it's such an exciting time to be. Um, and I, I think like we're in just such an amazing space right now because we are all coming to the same place, all coming to the same recognitions as you know, different organizations, individuals, you guys here, me. So right now is when we're all coming, converging and seeing now, how can we take this movement forward?
1: Mm, fantastic. Speaking about the movement now, um, of course, all is not lost. We are all trying to look for solutions here. Of these, We can't build or, or forever be out there, you know, ranting and whining and saying all this. We have to get solutions. We have to be the innovators ourselves. We have to be the entrepreneurs. Um, you have
2: to be the change we want to see. Yes,
1: <laughs> it starts with us. We have to go back to the basics. So as Blackster Media now, um, we want you to share with us the kind of programs that you, that you do, how frequent you do them, how can people get you, how can people reach you, and um, one or two, how do you think now these things that you are doing, how in eventu- eventually, how are they going now to strengthen the movement so that there's someone who's listening, you know, they're listening to you kindly and they want to maybe have a, a try in their own way, try to do, to, 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 to emulate or do it differently from what you're doing but their main aim is to strengthen the movement. So maybe if you could just respond to that.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um, so Blackstar which um, hand in hand with CCID our five key theme areas are, so there's youth unemployment, um, there's a creative economy, there's financial literacy there's mental health, there's gender and community community building and We look at these as entry points to some of the key things that need to be resolved and that will then have the leverage and have a bigger effect. Um, Right now, we are at a, like right now, we are planning towards 2023. Um, We are still, because a lot of these things also for us internally has been about understanding an institution, understanding how to build an institution, understanding system structures. So right now we're towards the planning of uh, 2023. Um, and uh, just, yeah, just so that, so, that, so that we're able to then have like now more, more long-term programs, more long-term projects. Because I think before, it was, a lot of it was just understanding the space, understanding the players um, 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 and, and seeing places for intervention. So anyone that's wanting to figure out how do they fit in, I think just first of all, just get into the space, um, whether, it's, whether, whether, it's, whether it's via a job or whether it's via volunteering, find out what's happening um, and see where you can fit in. Um, for me, it's about fill the gap. Fill the gap because when you fill the gap, that's where there's value. If you're doing what, if you're copy pasting what everyone else is doing, there's no value there. But look for where the gap is um, don't be in t- too much of a hurry to, yeah, to get there, because the question is, where is there? Just be very clear about that you want to be in your purpose, that you want to be in your purpose, because when you're in your purpose, that's where everything, like everything comes from that. Um, um, you're not you're not striving, you're not trying to look more important than anyone else, more superior than anyone else, you're just doing what you're here in the world to do. So that's a bit of a roundabout answer, but... Um, yeah, we are very keen to work with, uh, with, um, with other people who are doing projects out there or even who are like, just looking for a place to connect. And um, yeah, you can reach us via... So I'm on Twitter, which is at Kingwa. I'm on Facebook, Kingwa Kamenchu, I'm on Instagram, um, Kingwa Kamenchu, And you can just write to me, just inbox, and just we can start the conversation.
1: Awesome. 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 Um, uh I would want us to leave there, to leave it at that, because this is a conversation that we can continue having, I don't know, for a whole day and so forth. Uh, but for purposes of just the introduction, I know we are going to dive deep uh, into other sub-episodes about uh, financial literacy and economic well-being. Uh, but for now, I just want to point out two, three things. Um, as activists working on these issues, uh, I think we must consistently affirm that all human rights are interdependent and indivisible. And It is critical that all human rights be recognized as essential to the human survival and dignity. Advocacy for economic, social and cultural rights should not fall into its own trap. Focusing on economic, social and cultural rights does not mean that these rights are more important than or independent from civil and political rights. They warrant specific focus because they have been ignored for for so long, and so little work has been done to elaborate and popularize these rights as human rights. So uh, my parting shot to all of us is, are we willing to go that extra mile and ensure that we are going to promote human rights and dignity by advancing all rights in equal measure. That has been my time uh, with uh, this awesome human being, uh, Kingwa Kimenchu. Uh you can find her on um, Facebook on our social media platforms as she has stated. um feel free to reach out uh, from me. Uh, until next time, see you guys.
0: This is the Justice Watchers podcast where we dive deep inside the world of human rights defenders in Kenya. We appreciate your audience. We encourage you to share this podcast episode on all your social media platforms. Tune into our next episode, same channel. On all podcasting platforms championing the safety security and well-being of human rights defenders in kenya